Hi, thank you for joining us for the latest episode of the R&D 100 podcast. We're glad to have you back. I'm Paul Heaney, VP, Editorial Director of R&D World Magazine. And as always, joining me is my co-host, the always delightful Amy Kalinowskis. Hi, Paul, and thank you. Yes, Amy Kalinowskis, R&D World's Senior Editor, checking in here. And we're up to number six of the podcast. Where does the time go, Amy? I don't know. That's the question, the big one, right? It's crazy. Well, for those of you who are new to the podcast, this is a space where we examine the science of innovation via detailing the genesis of a specific past R&D 100 award winner. And occasionally we chat a bit about the latest research. We're really glad to have you here. Or maybe I should say, thanks for letting us rattle around in your headphones for a little while. <laughs> yes, we, uh, we've we taken a little bit of time off since the last episode, you know, what with the actual 2021 R&D 100 competition business, but we are so glad to be back with you. And Amy, I do want to start off today, if I may, by patting ourselves on the back just a little bit, because this podcast, as you know, has won a bronze regional ASB award for best B2B podcast. Whoa, that's such great news, Paul. (laughs) It is, it is. Now, I realize that most of you listeners probably won't know what the heck an ASB award is. But it's basically an industry award. It's it's given out by our peers, business-to-business publication editors and designers via the American Society of Business Publication Editors, hence ASBE. So anyway, we're we're really honored to have been recognized, and we are thrilled to be able to continue to bring great content to you, our listeners. And Paul, R&D World, the publication, won a few other ASBE awards. So, hey, let's give them a shout out, too. Oh, of course. Please do. Okay, thanks. We won a regional gold award in the opening page or spread category, a design award for our article on cybersecurity in the November 2020 issue. Check it out. And we also won a regional bronze award in the special section category for our 2020 global financial forecast, which was in the February 2020 issue. So, hey, kudos to our whole editorial and design team. Nice work, everyone. Very much agreed. And and, hey, thanks for mentioning those other winners. Uh, Now, before we jump into today's main segment, I wanted to remind everyone that we are in the midst of R&D 100 awards season. We recently announced this year's finalists, uh, 142 in all, which you can find splashed across the RD World online website. Um, We have just made the decision recently that we're not going to hold an in-person event for the Mm -hmm. winners, but we're going to do like we did last year in 2020, and we're going to have a three-part webinar series that is going to be scheduled for October 19, 20, and 21. That's a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And uh, over the course of those three days, we will be unveiling the actual 100 R&D 100 winners, as well as the special recognition medalists. So uh, please stay tuned for that. Yeah, and uh, it seems like the right thing to do right now, but hopefully next year in person, right? Okay, so anyway, are you ready for today's main event, Amy? Oh, as always, Paul, born ready. All right. I'm going to move into the kitchen here. Now, do you have your avocados ready? I I, uh, I, I warned you last time we're going to do some stuff with avocados on this podcast. You did. And you know, hey, I do live in California. I always <laughs> have some around. <laughs> and, I, you know, I, they're, they grow on trees. What can I tell you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh I'm in Ohio. They're not quite as much uh, found on trees uh, outside, but uh, I, I have a 
somewhat crappy one here. It's, you know, that's part of the problem, Amy, is you never know whether you're getting good or bad avocados. Absolutely, um, yeah. I had to make a little more of an effort. Uh, you know, Amy can just bump into a tree walking Stella and catch one, but I cannot do that. <laughs> True. I mean, honestly, <laughs> Paul, but I think you're secretly harboring a desire to do some sort of food and drink podcast, which, you know, I'm, I'm totally on board with. But because a few episodes ago, you had us drinking booze that was polished yeah, with yeah. the help of past R&D 100 winners technology and um, listeners, I, if I were you, I'd go back and listen to it with a glass. And now you insist that we're going to make avocado toast on this one. Well, there's a reason. There's a reason. <laughs> All right. I put my toast in the toaster. So I use a recipe that's pretty simple for my avocado toast. Uh, it's the avocado. I do a lemon for fresh juice, salt, garlic powder, a hint of olive oil, and then some red pepper flakes. So I like to use this uh, lately. I've been using this from Flat Iron Pepper Company, which technically is from Colorado, but it's kind of my my love of New Mexican cuisine. They've got some of the uh, the nice green uh, chilies here. Ooh, so anyway, I love yeah. my, my I love my guacamole, Amy, and I love mm-hmm. me some lime. But I think I really enjoy the difference that the lemon brings to this recipe. It's a, a surprisingly different take. You know what? I'll have to concur with you. And I'm just breaking this to you now, Paul. I didn't oh. tell you ahead of time. But uh, despite my, what you might think about the West Coast stereotype for avocado toast, Uh-oh. I don't really make it. I don't really make it. I'm a guacamole girl at heart. Um, <clears throat> granted, not a stretch as you think uh, you may have alluded to. But I prefer to cube my avocado straight from the peel. All right. Toss it. Some lemon juice from okay. I'm I'm am bragging here. The Meyer lemon tree right outside my door that I bump into. (laughs) And then I add what is nominal to me, but crazy to many to many, a a huge amount of garlic. I toss in some chopped tomatoes, and I'm exceptionally liberal with my cumin, salt, and pepper. And I have that all right here. Um, But you know what? Technically, if I mushed it all together, I could put it on toast. But hey. Yeah, yeah. And you know what I I think I mentioned to you in the past when you talked about this award winner is while I have a, a small avocado here, my sister actually saw this tree that is four stories high with avocados that are a size of a football. Oh and God. you have to wear a helmet when you're under the tree because if they fall, you could give yourself a concussion. So yeah, this is this is my avocado world. But how's that toast coming? Um, the toast has popped from the toaster. This avocado is fairly awful. Um, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. It's I tough did, though, I, right? I did the trick last night where, you know, you can supposedly ripen them by putting them in a bag with either a banana or an apple. Um, yeah. So that helped, but it's still a pretty awful avocado. Um, well, you, you just don't know, right? Because sometimes even the ripe ones that you get in the store can be brown when you open them up. So it's a bit of oh, a, yeah. it's a bit of a gamble. <laughs> but it, you, it know, a, you know how long it takes to ripen avocado on a tree before you can pick it, Paul? I it do takes, not, but I have a feeling takes, that you know, and you're going to It takes a full year to ripen on the tree. And in the no. U.S., you can't sell avocados that fall to the ground. So they have to be handpicked. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that contributes to the cost. And then if you're going to be shipping them from West to East, obviously that adds in costs through the supply chain, but, but Hey, 
lowers bad cholesterol big time. So, all right, I, I'm, I'm going to be mashing here for a while and it's okay. not going to be pretty, um, but you're probably wondering <laughs> why we're making avocado toast or, or cubed guacamole or, or what, whatever you're doing there in your California kitchen. But uh, <laughs> this has to do with celebrating this episode's R&D 100 award winner, which is a 2020 winner named Appeal. Appeal. So a pause peel or appeal one word. Come on. No, no, no. It's it's one word spelled okay. appeal, A-P-E-E-L. And this is a cool new technology that came out of three graduate students at UCSB. First, there's Sir James Rogers, who today serves as the CEO of Appeal. And his background was material science and biomedical engineering. He studied at Carnegie Mellon, and then he did his PhD at UCSB. And then secondly, we have Jenny Dew. She serves as the VP of operations. She did her undergrad degree in engineering chemistry and her PhD work in chemistry at Queens College in Kingston, Canada. She was a postdoc at UCSB. And then we have Lou Perez, who I interviewed for today's episode, and he is the VP of technology at Appeal. So his background is material science and engineering. He started his undergraduate work at Ford Atlantic University and then the University of Florida. And then he went on to UCSB, where he started his graduate studies and did his PhD. Hmm. Okay. So, all right. Well, let's get to this. What is Appeal, spelled A-P-E-E-L, or what won the award? Well, in their own words, Appeal is the only end-to-end plant-derived solution preserving fresh produce and reducing food waste. Hmm. So it's made from materials found in every bite of fruit, and Appeal creates an edible peel on the surface of fresh, fresh produce that helps to reinforce the, its own peel and slow down spoilage, extending shelf life by two to three times. Whoa, that's really fascinating. Please tell me more. <laughs> okay, but before we go on and hear from Lou, I'm going to, you know what? This is not working out really well. I think I'm going <laughs> to work at finishing mine and uh, uh, the toast is ready. So let's listen to Lou describe the genesis of the idea and the genesis of the idea even involves a podcast, Amy. Oh, my God. I can't wait. Come on. So the idea really came about towards the end of our graduate studies at uh, UCSB. Um, there had been a recent UN FAO report that came out that discussed uh, global food loss and waste that um, highlighted major concerns in our ability to, to feed the growing planet, uh, where by 2050, there's a number of figures, but you know, 30% more people to feed, what have you. Um, what was really highlighted too in this report was the amount of food that that's grown that never even makes it to someone's, someone's homes, you know? Uh, so just really interesting where, you know, we, we had heard this report, um, and because it just came out, um, you know, it had, I think it was on a number of different podcasts, different things like that. And it just led to the uh, more of a simple question of just, well, why does food spoil in the first place, uh, particularly, you know, fresh produce? Like, what is the major reasons why, uh, why that happens? And so just did a little research. Um, you know, I would say we were just being curious and did a little research. And what we found is that the major uh, abiotic stressors, so things that aren't related to, you know, mold, fungus, what have you, were for the reason why uh, food spoils or particularly produce was um, water loss or desiccation. So over time, um, water uh, will evaporate. Uh, most fruit as you know, or vegetables as we know, are mainly consist of water. Uh, 
And the second one being oxidation. So over time, you know, oxygen will uh, find its way in there and then there'll be secondary or tertiary or primary reactions that occur that then cause the spoilage to happen, brown and things like that. So I think the interesting, you know, us being material scientists and have worked and haven't worked for a number of years on projects that involve like organic thin films um, and knowing just the amount of work and advances that were in that field, um, we thought, okay, well, how do we combat those abiotic stressors? And, and that's what we thought. It's like, well, there's, there might be some interesting way to think about some organic or, you know, take a material science perspective on organic thin films to then apply to this problem or to tackle this issue. So. I love it. I love it, Paul. But different fruits and vegetables last longer or go bad quicker. I mean, we've got our avocados and bananas and don't get me started on the stone fruit. So <laughs> there, there are different processes at play, right? Well, precisely. So like, you know, what makes a lemon different from a strawberry? If you were to put a lemon and a strawberry side by side in your desk, you just know intuitively that the strawberry is probably going to spoil much faster than the lemon, right? Oh, yeah. Happens to me all the time. Absolutely. So the three of them started wondering, what, why is that? And they started to dig into more about how plants in general made their way onto land. Okay. At some point, you know, from an evolutionary standpoint, land-dwelling plants developed this ability to prevent desiccation. So they were able to maintain water. And that led the three of them to think about the fact that the lemon and the strawberry have this type of coating or these types of compounds that makes their decay rate so different. But I mean, what is that? So this got them examining what types of properties in nature reduce water loss and prevent oxidation. <laughs> so cool how they how they got they followed that train of thought. So this is really sort of biomimicry solution, right? I, I mean, it's got to be safe to consume, as it doesn't help if you keep food stable longer and then can't eat the darn thing. Well, precisely. So Lou and his team were very conscious of that. I think James did a really nice job with this this type of idea, this work where it was, okay, we can't just use anything, right? We can't just, this is going to be in people's food. We, you know, we can't just use any type of material system. Like we really need to be judicious in regards to the materials we use. It's actually funny because sometimes having those constraints actually can lead to a little bit more creativity in regards to how you approach it. Because uh, with particularly with material science, where it's not just the you know the compounds or the materials you use, but it's also how you process them to then get your final properties. So I would say, you know, for us, it was really heavily materials focused at the beginning, and then the goal was to get to some proof of concept, and then we started to bring in uh, you know more of a more more chemist more chemistry or do a little bit more chemistry to then uh, you know, test these different options or compounds that, that exist and to synthesize them, um, extract them, what have you. And then the, you know, the, the next part was, okay, so now we, we have some of this material, we did some proof of concepts, uh, started to see some really interesting results. We were using time-lapse photography to show uh, what we consider if you, if you coat, the, coat a piece of fruit with the peel versus not, and, and then what, you know, you can see some clear differences. I think we were really inspired by a lot of the time-lapse photography that it was really popular at that point, like with Planet Earth and those different documentaries. Uh, I used to watch those all the time. And so, you know, it's really just to see that visual, visual of something changing versus seeing a plot was, was very powerful for us. And then the next big step, once you find the right formulation, Lee told me, is to, Lou told me, excuse me, is to scale it up. Oh, okay. For sure. Naturally, eh? right? Yeah, yeah. So, so here's Lou again. 
next thing is okay we have this we have this these this compound these group of compounds that are they're you know it's working it's doing what we anticipated now we need to make more of it and so then we started to look you know we now we had as more of a scale and challenge and so then we hired more a group of chemical engineers that um usually that's what chemical engineers do. They'll take something that you, maybe you're doing in a beaker and then they'll say, how can we do this in a, in a large tank? <laughs> and so from there, we uh, started to scale up the production of material. And then that then allowed us to go do trials with our external customers, which was, that's the real, you know, it's great to do something in lab, but advice I would give to anyone is like, do your best to, you know, to get in a real life setting as, as fast as possible. Cause then you really see a bunch of the, you'll really learn where a lot of the challenges exist or are going to come at you. So um, then from there, it's like, okay, well, we have enough material, we're, we're doing these trials, but now we need to figure out the application of this, you know, of these compounds or what we call our formulations at, at scale. So we were doing some of these trials and then now we're like, okay, we need to start designing larger equipment than to be able to do commercial scale trials because uh, the industry is huge and the, the, the throughput and the amounts of volume that they go through a day are just, you know, it's, it's really, um, it was, that was one of the real interesting things to learn is going to some of these, what are known as packing houses where a lot of produce is processed and seeing the, the throughputs and the rates, um, you know, we're talking like metric tons, you know, an hour type thing. It, it's really, I mean, imagine you go to the grocery store, if you have a bag of fruit, <laughs> You know, it gets pretty heavy. And so, you know, just the, anyway, just the amounts of um, the size and scale was, uh, was, was something that I think we probably underestimated. And that's what, you know, uh, we, we put a lot of work into to get this commercialized. But anyway, from there, so then it was built, it was to build the right equipment, you know, so hiring mechanical and electrical engineers. Um, and then, yeah, I would say the other big thing too was then once we started to get commercial, then now it's building out uh, the quality tools and and the software to then software programs to then interface with with our customers and and also internally. So it's just it was almost like each there's just it's just like these interesting steps that you have to go through when you're really trying to commercialize uh, this type of product or a physical good. You know, this wasn't really a, a piece of software where you know we could have just said, okay, we'll, we'll deploy multiple copies or what have you, or beta test, what have you. So. All right, Paul, fascinating. But how does this actually work in reality? You know, this is kind of in a lab. Is this like a spray or a coating they apply, or are they just selling appeal to grocery stores or farmers? I mean, how does it get on the fruit? Well, I, I mean, I had the same questions. So Lou explained that in some cases, some places mm -hmm. there's a like a vertical integration in the food industry but in most cases you have the farmer who sells their fruit to a supplier sometimes called a packer mm -hmm. um, that supplier or packer will clean box sanitize and they basically get you know the the fruit or vegetable all prepped to send to a final retail consumer Okay. Um, so that's really where appeals process is, is mainly done now due to economies of scale and that's basically where you have access to a lot of produce in a single place. So the best analogy that he gave me was that the appeal process is sort of like a car wash. What? Um, <laughs> so the formulation is water-based and what they do is okay. essentially get the fruit wet. Uh, then they put it through a drying system to remove the water and what you're left with is the coating. Mm. So he also mentioned that it can be aqueous-based or solution-based. 
So you can use a number of different techniques. Um, you can just spray, you can paint it on, you could dunk the, the object, depending on the category that you're working with, which going back to what we said earlier, it makes what, what makes the most sense with a lemon might right. not work for a strawberry. Okay. So given those differences, I'm guessing that some fruits or vegetables work better than others with this process. Um, it, it does, but believe it or not, it's more complicated than that because, and I was surprised to learn this, but if you grow an avocado in California versus Chile or Peru, how they behave is different despite mm. being the same genus and everything else. Mm. Um, and that's usually due to, you know, weather conditions and soil conditions and those sorts of factors. Okay. So here's a little more about what Lou said about that. Every single produce category is different. let alone almost every single piece of fruit. And this was something that we learned pretty early on where Everyone seemed to say like, oh, my fruit's different. Or I want to see this work on my fruit. And we'd be like, well, we, we've done tests on this. You know, it should be the same. And we ultimately then have th developed a really nice um, like demo system and program. But I would say, so generally like our process, what we do is if, um, you know, we really look, we it's really, really science-based where we look at the, the, the piece of produce itself. We look at the topology, the surface chemistry, different factors like that then to get an idea of what formulation might work best or in a sense, also understand what we're trying to do. Are we trying to reduce uh, respiration? So the rate at which the produce is uh, breathing in a sense to slow down the aging process. Are we mainly focused on reducing desiccation? So water loss. So you identify a couple of those key features and then we're pretty good at the point now where we can get on the dartboard pretty quick in regards to, to making a product uh, uh, for uh, an appeal product for that specific category. So it's, um, I wouldn't say anything's easier. <laughs> Anyone is easier than, than the other, but definitely want to acknowledge that. Yeah, this is, um, uh, everything is, has a slight difference to it. And this is actually the real fun part of the job as well. It's, you know, it's, it's almost, uh, you know, it's like being a detective in a sense and, and trying to get a sense of, okay, how do we, how do we optimize this as much as possible based on these differences? And, and that also goes to what, what I mentioned before, as far as, um, you know, the difference in application of the formulation um, can have a significant effect on the ultimate properties and performance that we get. All right. And, you know, please forgive the realist in me here, but I would think there have been, there's got to have been stumbling blocks or issues. Maybe I should say the cynic that they would have had with the FDA or similar organizations. Obviously everything that you're going to put on these fruits has got to be edible. So it's got to be non-cancer causing. What steps did they have to go through within that part of the discovery process? Yeah, you are absolutely right, Amy. And that was clearly one of the first things they tackled. Let's take a listen. This is what also work we did very early on was to understand that landscape and to know, okay, what, um, what's allowed, what's not allowed. And, you know, you try to go deeper and understand why and why not, but that's a little bit, <laughs> that's a little bit harder sometimes to decipher. But for us, because we chose this, we, we chose, we wanted to make sure we're using materials that are already are found in nature, stuff that you already consume, you know, it's this concept of food on food, essentially, you know, so when people ask what's in your coating or is it harmful, it's like, well, no, absolutely not. You already have eaten tons of it today. We just use it in a different way and, um, uh, and basically make uh, this coating that then you know, basically bolsters the defense properties of fresh produce. Um, so we, we didn't, we haven't really come into major, um, 
uh, challenges with that. I think just, just because of that point where we've, uh, we're using things that are already, that are safe, that people already eat, that's already food. Um, and so, um, yeah, so we, we've been fortunate front. We're obviously still very active uh, in regards to getting um, regulatory approvals in different geographies. It's, it's, it's a long, it's a long process. And I think we have a great team that, that, that's, uh, that's approaching it. Um, but ultimately I would say um, no major, I would say resistance or stubborn blocks, especially, you know, it's reckon it's FDA grass or generally recognized as safe materials. Um, and, you know, beyond that, you know, yeah, just going to different geographies and going through the, the process, the paperwork and, and um, yeah, getting things approved. But I would say, yeah, it's, it's more about a time thing versus an actual like concern of the, the, the materials that we're using. Okay, Paul, now this is one of my favorite parts. I want to hear about what challenges they ran into. I assume you talked to Lou about that. Well, of course, that's that's always something where I think that researchers can learn from one another and one of the best parts of this podcast. Mm. So I think a lot of what they ran into is really on the industry end of things, you know, the scaling of the product as opposed mm. to the chemistry itself. You know, if you want to provide a, a peel-treated produce, you 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 have to go to the produce, right? You can't, you know, you, you can, you know, it kind of defeats the purpose if then you have a a single spot where you ship everything to and you know the early we can get this applied the better so there's that but i would say the other the really big one is just the scale and you know going from like beaker to you know working in a lab and, and be, you know beakers then to you know to get in something that's in, in in somebody's home you know they're enjoying um and and utilizing so for us yeah i think i think the scaling was the has been the it's probably one of the bigger challenges, right? And I think like other companies are good examples like Tesla and other, and other places like that. You know, it's really just getting a process down that uh, is consistent and provides, you know, like just that consistent quality. Um, you know, for us, because example was, okay, so we had this proof of concept. We figured out this, this, this group of compounds, this material that then gave us these properties, but then the next thing is okay. Well, how do you mass produce that, or how do you how do you mass produce that so you can do things at scale, and how do you apply it at scale? So when it comes down to the equipment, and then the other big thing too was, um, you know, there's not a piece of equipment that I, if I have a strawberry or a lemon or banana, orange, what have you, and if I put it something in a piece of equipment that then tells me, you know, good, bad, okay, right? There's nothing really out there there's a lot of um general guidance i would say but there's nothing really quantitative and uh so that was another big aspect or i think a big challenge for us especially being scientists was you know we want to measure we want to be able to measure our, how this is working and um and also the addition so how do we improve how, how do we improve what we can't measure so i think another big aspect our challenge was just that is that we had to figure out the, the tools then to measure the performance, right? I, I, there was just nothing out there. So we built a number of different tabletop tools that then, you know, we can measure desiccation, we can measure respiration, we can look at color change, we can look at internal defects, and we then had to come up with our own systems. So I would, I would say, yeah, the globalization part, the scaling is, which I think is common for most startups. And then the other part was really the the tools, the measurement tools to to determine performance, right? Um, there's 
just nothing out there. And I, I also think it's a huge opportunity for us to help the industry in a way um, to come up with like queer sort of guidelines and segmentation on, you know, is really lemon A, why is lemon A better than lemon B? You know, what, what there's consumer acceptance, there's a number of, of these other factors that, um, yeah, that definitely should, should come into play. That, um, that, that those are tools that we just had to make and methods we had to develop. And then really the only other thing I wanted to add in here was Lou's insights on teamwork and how his own team was able to find the inspiration to innovate. So here it is. I would say, um, you know, I think, I think a big part of it was, you know, when we think about even the genesis of the ideas, it's, it might sound real simple, but, you know, it's just really being curious and asking questions, you know, internally and externally, right? So, um, and, and I think the ability to try and connect things, I think that's where a lot of creativity comes from. It's, um, I think there's, there's so many studies and, and evidence for this now is you know, taking people from different fields and then having them apply what they've learned into a different field, um, I think is, is really a, a cool recipe for, you know, creativity and innovation. You know, like, if I, like for example, for us, none of us you know, knew much about agriculture, produce, what have you, but then we use our material science lens or perspective and, um, and analogies from that field to then try to apply to this, I think was, uh, I think is something, yeah, we, 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 we encourage a lot. And I think it's been a useful tool for us. I think a couple other things like, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think nothing beats persistence, you know, <laughs> perspiration, what have you. I think, I think the goal is like, you know, we ask people to work hard and smart, you know, be, you know, be as prolific as you can, you know, for, for me personally, you know, I'm always super inspired by artists, musicians. Um, you know, you might see their one masterpiece or their one famous painting or, or composition, but in most cases they have such a large volume of work, you know, it's like almost like it's, it's a little bit of plain statistics sometimes in regards to, well, one out of, X is going to really strike with, you know, a certain audience or a large audience. So, um, so definitely it's obviously the, you know, for the innovation part, it's, I think there's, I think there's just, yeah, a ton of persistence and, and, um, you know, that, that that's necessary. And, you know, obviously an experimental mindset, you know, try, try and try, you know, don't, you know, in most cases, um, for scientists, it's interesting. Like it's usually the first time we do something. It, it never usually works the first time. It's like 90% of the time it fails because there's so many factors and things you have to consider that, or maybe you forgot to consider as well. And so the ability then to just be open to, um, constantly trying different things. You know, we, we say this all the time. It's like, okay, well, let's, we should try it. Like, let's call it an experiment, you know, and that, and that can go, that goes down from, lab work down to uh, up to, you know, some of the you know, business decisions we're making, you know, sometimes it's, you know, you don't, you know, you do your best and you set it up and you, and you, and you iterate off of it. So another big one, I would say, um, I've been trying to explain to the team more, or I think is really, has really been helpful is, is really understanding and challenging whatever constraints you think you have. That's usually, that's a, that's a really big one or a big blocker. I think sometimes for innovation is that, Sometimes you get in this mindset of, well, we can't do X and X, X because of Y and Z, but then you really need to question why does Y and Z, y and Z actually exist in the first place? Are those real constraints or not? And 
And, you know, if, if I didn't have those, how would I approach it? So it really kind of helps, I think, expand sometimes in regards to, um, you know, your inventive or innovative process is really just identifying at first identifying the constraints you think you have and then, and working through that. So, and, and I think ultimately, uh, I, I think again, um, having nature be the, ins be inspiration. Like I said, if you, if you see it happen in nature, that's your proof of concept, you know, it's physically, biologically <laughs> uh, possible to happen. So, um, yeah, there's a couple of, couple of things I would say in regards to, yeah. Um, you know, innovation guidelines or things I think that have helped us a lot at Appeal. I, you know what, a little bit of a common theme with our podcast interviews, right, Paul? Mm -hmm. Hey, well, thanks so much, Paul. And I have to say, this was a winner that certainly will touch all of our lives in a super direct way. As our avocado toast experiment showed, well, maybe not mine so much, <laughs> mine was a little bit of a flop, but I think yours, yours turned out a little better. <laughs> that it did in my kitchen and my liquor cabinet. Oh, it was a great deal of gratitude. <laughs> oh, sorry, gratitude to the R&D 100s now. I, I swear I'm not having that drink. <laughs> it's, it's pretty early in California, so I hope <laughs> not, unless it's left over from last night. Yeah. <laughs> all right, well, Miss Kay, that is all I have for you here today. Well, that was a lot, Paul. Interesting and educational, as I like to say. Thank you. Well, as always, if you're a past R&D 100 award winner and you have an interesting creation or development story to tell, we need to talk. Please email us the details at researchdevelopment at wtwhmedia.com. That's researchdevelopment at wtwhmedia.com. We're always on the lookout for topics for future R&D 100 podcast episodes. And pretty sure we're going to have a whole lot more that we're going to be able to tackle come yeah, uh, October. <laughs> Also, uh, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Twitter at eeworld underscore Amy, A-I-M-E-E, -E, and WTWH underscore Paul Heaney, P-A-U-L-H-E-N-E-Y. Until next time, this is Paul Heaney here. And Amy Kelnoskis over here in Avocado Land. <laughs> Signing off. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks.